and we're not wizards. We are the best. And also, we're not wizards. Enjoy the show. Bye. I've got coffee because it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, it's leftover coffee from the morning, so it still counts. Do you just top it up? Are you like, have you like, are you a typical American? Like, I've got a coffee pot that you go to, and you just kind of like top it up during the day, or do you? Are, yeah. Do you have a, a jar of like expensive instant coffee, or yeah? No, no, I'm I I make it in the morning and then drink it. Uh, usually, I'm done by now. This is a weird day. I didn't even start making coffee till almost ten something, so it's been a weird <sighs> one. But yeah, I know. I the weird thing is, I'm like most Americans. I don't have an electric tea kettle. I still use a, a, a just like a gas one, and then we heat that up. But we do have a lot of tea here too. So yeah, I seen I seen one of you Americans make tea on a rather famous kind of short video where they basically they got a tea bag and a a pot of water. Or a cup right. of water, they put the tea bag in the cup. Right. And then they put it in the microwave. Oh. Yeah. Mm, I, yeah. I apologize on behalf of my fellow countrymen. That's <laughs> you know, right. That's just like a bad and it's like and and they, and then they looked straight in the camera and they're like, and that's how you make British tea. <laughs> and it's like it's like you're no. so ro- you're so wrong in every level, I would have chucked you in the harbour myself. Uh, exactly. <laughs> had, it been, had it been that time. Um, right, because when you make it, you're doing a full pot and taking that hits of that, so to speak, off at the rest of the day, right? I've got like a little cafe. Yeah, well, no, because tea. Oh, this is here's an interesting thing, right? That I discovered working from home, which I do, mm-hmm. is that. And you guys are just gonna have to wait for an intro, by the way, because we're just yeah, we're, we're not just, talking we're, about we're, games today. We're not talking this is about important. Game. This is important, right? Is that I've discovered from working from home, and I don't know if this is the same for you. But I don't know if there's some kind of internal kind of um, perpetual kind of energy machine going on in your average cup of coffee. Because if I make a cup of tea and I drink it and five minutes later, that thing's gone cold. Mm. Whereas if I make a cup of coffee, I can have a cup of coffee sitting for a good kind of 10, 15, 20 minutes and it'll still be slightly warm. And I don't know if there's some kind of aerodynamic thing going on or if coffee generally kind of yeah. you know it kind you know of, what you're right i was noticing that the other day i was working on a prototype in my in my living room mm. and my i made a cup of coffee in the morning and then i switched to tea and that tea got really really cold i'm sure some of it is observational bias you know where we're walking away longer than we think we are but you're right i feel like tea goes those cold tea goes, is it and, possible and there's you know, more viscosity I don't. That's a thermodynamic question. We need to get yeah. some somebody somebody on the next show. We need to invite somebody in the coffee yeah. and tea trade and let them argue over first of all which drink is better, well, and yeah. secondly why tea is continually disappointing. Because the other thing with tea, and I know you're, I know there's iced tea fans out there. Mm-hmm. Ice, not iced tea, isn't the West Coast rapper? But <laughs> he's got fans too. <laughs> he's, he's probably iced tea drinking iced tea. Um, 
on the front of his next album cover because he's getting to that age because he dropped right. him. did he not get into the kind of the acting gig with kind of like the oh, line yeah. and stuff like that so he was he's an, all over tv he's yeah. all over yeah. doing tv he, and stuff actually, like that. i do believe he has actually done a line of commercials here in the states that are for iced tea so <laughs> and the circle is complete yes. he's got a famous kind of rapper you know, I used to listen to him when I was younger. But anyway, see, this is like a fireside chat. And the reason people that were having a fireside chat <laughs> is because we needed something to kind of like calm us down after a long day. Because sometimes you're just doing stuff one thing after another. And that to-do list never seems to get shorter. And sometimes, you know, if you're working from home, and as they say, you know, every home is your cat. You know, someone's home is actually their castle. And there's nothing worse than you working on your things to-do list and discovering that you've got not an awful lot of time to do the stuff that you need to do. You can end up in a panic. You could technically end up in some kind of castle panic. So I thought, I need an expert who's going to help me through my castle panic. So I'm, jo I'm, Flawless. I'm joined by Justin Dubit. There you go. And now we can start the show. Like we there started, I just decided, right, you could do an intro and people are going to be going, what's, what's happening here? And if, it, if right. it's okay, I'll leave it in. And if it's not okay, I'll kind of take it out, but it doesn't I matter. We could do another one if we need to. I love we it. We don't need to I like do the idea of no. leaving all the tea talk in the beginning. People are going to be like, what show is this? No, is this no, some no, sort no, of no. across the pond tea argument? No, nope. no long time nope. listeners will be fully aware <laughs> that there is no such thing as stuff kind of off topic. When you generally start a show by asking Jamie Stegmaier whether or not he can sing, uh, yeah. <laughs> then you know everything's kind of everything's kind of open um nope. you're in te you're in texas i am austin texas and how are the stars at night <laughs> big and bright just like they say <laughs> yeah. honestly they're the same everywhere but yeah no it, texas has a lot of stuff like that that is very takes a while to get used to i'm not a native texan i moved here about uh 20 years ago um and it's taken a while to get used to it it is very much its own uh, mentality uh, are you still treated as like an are you still treated like an outsider depends on who i'm talking to i can tell some people to get off my lawn y'all because yeah. they're new and they've only been here for a few months but other people will tell me what are you doing here yankee so yeah it's uh <laughs> it's, yeah it's, it's an you interesting just, place you just wait until we succeed <laughs> then you <laughs> so, then we'll be then we'll be chucking all you 20 euros out here oh building, my gosh <laughs> um, it's well let's i'm not let's keep it fun and light and, and tasty and wonderful and um i'm gonna have a little kind of go i'm gonna go, i like to kind of like have a little kind of fly back into the past before sure. we stare at the castle walls of the present <laughs> and look off into the distance at the siege engine <laughs> that's appearing over the hill yes. with a couple with a couple of elephants um <laughs> <laughs> in terms of like let's set set the, the way the, the way back clock huh? growing up what kind of kid were you were you a uh, curious kid or a quiet <laughs> kid or an inventive kid or a little bit of both. Um, I was an only child, but I was always entertaining myself. That was not really a problem. I loved reading books. I love fantasy. I love sci-fi. I love all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and I was very creative. I knew I wanted to do something creative growing up. And really for me, that was drawing. I wanted to do art. I love mm. drawing pictures. I got better and better as I got older. I wanted to actually make a craft out of it. But I also had this little looking back. I can see the importance now. I would make board games up like I would watch a cartoon or a TV show and go, mm. that's cool. I want to make a game out of that. And I did. And uh, one of the ones I remember that was really pivotal for me was uh, I was going to date how old I am. But I went and saw the original Tron. The, the, wow. the Tron movie with light cycles and Frisbees and all that. I thought it was the coolest movie ever. I came home and I wanted to get a light cycle board game. And surely there was one. I begged mom to take me to the local store. Mm-hmm. And surprise, there was no Tron board game, uh, a light cycle game. So I was very frustrated. went home and made my own where you rolled dice and moved and you put these little paper triangles. I'd fold it out behind your little piece. It was, wow. it, I still have it. It's ridiculously complicated. Stupid roll and move game, but it has light cycle walls you put behind you. Um, that was the kind of kid I was. If I got an itch like that, I would just do it. And it happened a lot with things that I liked. You know, is it Transformers? Is it Tron? Is it whatever? I would make something out of that. And Maybe we'd played a few times, now be it. And then yeah. I found video games and got distracted for a couple of decades. <laughs> are you are you still are you still a video gamer then? Do you still play games I, just now? Yes, I like all kinds of games, honestly. I am uh, agnostic when it comes to loyalty. I will play anything if it looks like fun. Um, I don't play as many board games, ironically enough, because uh, it's harder for me to break away from my own prototyping, get people in the same room with me and play. Yeah. And if and whereas I can fire up a video game and get an experience that's very, very different. Uh, I have a standing group Friday night of friends that get together and play ridiculous things, co-op and stuff, and then I play some single player. But yeah, I, uh, I, I like... I, I think they're both fascinating media and I like to see where we can cross over here and there. But, you know, obviously with, you know, a brain and a computer chip behind it, video games can do a lot more, but there's a lot of inspiration I think we can take from video games. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've kind of interestingly seen the discussion on social media about kind of uh, big box board games are approaching the kind of the realm where it's actually easier to have them as a, like a video game. <laughs> Because the amount yeah. of management that's taken that, and it's like, are we approaching this thing where big box is becoming so big box that there's so many rules, there's so many things to remember that eventually somebody's going to go, oh, we should really have an app. <laughs> we should have an app for this yeah. instead. Yeah. And what does your app do? <laughs> yeah, is it, it kind of plays score, the game for you. Basically playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, I mean, we we laugh, but um, the, they made a a dice game for uh, Arkham Horror, set in the Arkham Horror world, and it's just clunky enough that like playing it in person is fun but the app yeah. is so good because it just streamlines all the maintenance and bookkeeping and the scoring mm-hmm. and i love the game it's a great game I just, but that is so much better as an app and it's kind of sad because it's like there to me that was a pivotal moment where it's like this really just holds together all of its own neat interesting but slightly complicated rules in a much better package when it's digital so yeah i'm with you anything that comes in a giant box with minis and charts and graphs you're basically making someone else do all the computational work in the yeah. background so yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and on the same time i don't know if you've if you've dipped into Marvel Snap at all. I have not yet. I'm, I'm a little scared too. <laughs> I have. Uh-oh. And the, and the jury says? <laughs> oh, goodness me. It's, <laughs> it's actually, you know, it's, it's like, I know we're talking about kind of like board games kind of making a transition into or needing kind of video games in order to kind of do all the, the, the housekeeping, but... I'm not sure Marvel Snap would work as a typical card game. And I've seen people kind of say, oh yeah, but you need 
you know, once you have all the cards, you could work out, but there's an, there's an awful lot of number crunching kind of going on with multipliers and stuff like that. So you'd have, you'd have your deck of cards and then you'd have a bag of kind of plus and minus tokens for oh, all the various man. kind of different kind of connotations. It really, really works. It's a lovely, elegant app. I have, I have um, played far too long on it for my own good and I'm still thoroughly enjoying it because they seem to just yeah. be working on it and not abandoning it. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm guessing you went high school. Yep. And then, unless you just went, you got to like, <laughs> you just got to junior high and you just went, nah, this is it. I've nah, had no. enough. No, no, no. I was, a, I was a pretty nerdy kid. I, I studied a lot and did all my homework and that kind of thing. Didn't, didn't love a lot of it, but I made it through. <laughs> Wait, what did you, what was your direction then after you kind of graduated high school? Did you then go to college or university or what, where 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 did you kind of go after that i yeah that's a great question uh, i floundered a little bit right after high school i didn't really know what i wanted to do i knew i wanted to do something artistic but i wasn't sure what and where so i kind of noodled around a little bit i did a little bit of traveling mm-hmm. and then um i eventually enrolled in one of our community colleges uh mm-hmm. which is like an in-between uh, uh senior uh, uh, high school and college um i took a lot of classes that i was interested in things like japanese and philosophy and stuff like that really really interesting and all also very quickly realized all the things I didn't want to do. Like I didn't want a job in academia and that sort of thing. And really it came back to, I really love art. I want to do something graphics wise. And so that's when um, a few years later, I ended up enrolling in college to get a degree in graphic design and illustration, which I wanted to be an animator is what this really goes back to. I was looking very seriously at CalArts working for Disney and changed my mind because it was going to be super expensive. I didn't really want to live in California and ended up kind of, there was an animation at the school I went to, they sort of had a, a, a trajectory that was an animation adjacent thing. I went and did that. And for like my senior projects, I did a bunch of animation work, uh, some of it 2D, most of it 3D mm. though. And then um, after that, got jobs in the industry doing multimedia animation. Back when stuff used to come on CD-ROMs, I used to make all those kind of things, all the little animated uh, movies and games and stuff like that. I worked for a bunch of different companies. And uh, yeah, so I, I had a formal education in ironically drawing things and making things look good which actually has come in really handy in my daily life what what kind of animated stuff were you doing you can't make a throwaway comment like i animated some stuff and then you know that's a single sentence <laughs> sorry yeah to, um yeah, I no, mean, the, what the kind things of stuff? people would you might uh back i worked for a company called humongous entertainment back in the day uh, i believe okay. they're part of atari now but they were one of the last studios in the uh late 90s to be doing hand-drawn animation on computers still wow. uh so you'd get a cd-rom and all the hmm. stuff had been drawn by hand and then like scanned in and colored and wow. that's what we were doing um i ended up doing a little bit of background work on some of those projects but i was actually the animation lead for the blues clues birthday adventure game which if you grew up and had a cd-rom and ever played there was a cd-rom where you could it was Blue's Clues and Steve would show up and help you find Blue, bounce around and get her clues for her birthday. And uh, there was also another one after that, but I left the company shortly before we finished that one. So um, yeah, a lot of head down over the desk, making sure Blue's ears flopped the right way and her paws <laughs> moved and all that. And Which meant I've seen every episode of the first season of Blue's Clues like 10 times. <laughs> do you, I, I, mean, I can see like on the shelf behind you, you do seem to have all the DVDs and the <laughs> collection of that and the poster as well um that's yeah, nice yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a hardcore fan <laughs> <laughs> is it is animation like one of these things where you feel you feel like you're putting an awful lot of work in and it's like 
you've got to kind of have an overall vision of where you're going with it. Because if you just kind of went, right, I'm just going to move this bit and then this bit and then this bit. I can imagine you slowly driving yourself insane over a short period of time. Do you have to kind of like go, no, actually, this is going to flow. They're going to jump. The ears are going to flop down and this is right. kind of how it's going to kind of work. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yes, uh, you, you've got that very, very much on the head. Um, uh, there's a great saying from one of the old Disney uh, animators of trust the process, because while you're in the middle of it, it's an absolute garbage uh, nightmare because you're like, this leg looks terrible. This arm looks awful. What am I doing? But then when it goes by it, 24 frames a second, it looks great because it's supposed to. It's yeah. just an in-between bit. Yeah. And also, yeah, you need to map out your 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 movement and your your energy and your your how the uh, momentum is carried through movement. You have to plan all that out. And after a certain point, it becomes pretty intuitive you don't have to like think mm. about it as much you sort of know like okay this person's landing they're going to lean this way their weight's going to go here their squash mm. is going to go here their head will squish this way um uh, uh there were some people that were brought on that were pretty new to animation at the time and we had to teach them some of that stuff that was kind of interesting to kind of explain like here go watch some old disney movies and see how this moves yeah. well really for us it was go study how they animate blues because we were doing exactly what nickelodeon was doing we had to try and copy that as close mm -hmm. as we could being a third-party studio so that was our big thing there but yeah no there is a um there is a lot of oh my god what am i doing with my life moments <laughs> like am i really just moving this this paw and then this paw and then this tail and this ear and then of course something would get out of sync and you have to do it all over again and that would drive you up a wall so that's part of why when years later when things changed i and it was time to make a call on um what to do uh, fast forward uh, a tech company i'd been working for where i had been doing a bunch of art direction and project management in mm. animation illustration was going out of business and they were very kind enough to let me know that they were going to lay me off in like august this was in february i think mm -hmm. and this was we'd been working on board games and thinking about maybe we want to do something with our like company quote unquote and that's when it was like okay i can keep looking for an animation job even though a there are none in the u.s anymore and b i'm a little tired of it or we can start this crazy idea of launching our own publishing company so that's where that came from and that was part of that decision is there's only so many times you can draw the same thing over and over and not get a little bored with it so yeah <laughs> it's like i i get it's really interesting because I, I i i i've spoken to people who were involved in actual video game development mm -hmm. and they seem to be approaching it from the same side and the fact that i had an idea to make a game but then actually getting a game to kind of work what was in my head was taking so so long. Where literally yes. if I wanted to, if I want to invent a game, I can literally take four pieces of paper, some dice and a couple of cards and I can have a basis of a game up and running yes. that people can have fun and it doesn't have to be kind of artistically, artistically kind of developed. Was there... Um, was there a bit of, now, this is a, I don't know if this is a phrase that you'll all get over in Texas, but was there a bit of squeaky bum time when you kind of first kind of, kind of set up? You know I'm, I mean? I'm going to ask for clarity before I interpret that wrong, <laughs> so I answer this correctly. Are you, are you touch scared? Oh, <laughs> like, oh. going. Yeah. In regards to uh, uh, Fireside Game stuff? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. No, um, there's a story I love to tell when uh, we had we'd gotten Castle Panic nailed down. It was going to work. We talked to our uh, distributing partners and how it was going to go and all that. And we're about to write 
probably the biggest check we've ever written outside of when we paid for our house. Um, and I had to stop and Marie and my wife and our CEO and put my hand on her shoulder. And I'm like, do we really want to do this? Like, this is a lot of money. And we're both like, yeah, we've been saving up. It wasn't yeah. going to break us if we lost it. And we'd rather do it and regret it than not do it. That literally yeah. was a big part of it. It's like, let's just shoot for this and see what happens. And so we did. We wrote this really scary check. But yeah, there was definitely a squeaky bum time there. <laughs> and there have been other times too. I mean, running a business is weird and this industry is insane for yes. what changes and how things come at you and what you'll see on the news and realize, oh, that does matter. There's lots of moments of like, oh, no, what's this going to be? Um, so, yeah, no, there have definitely been more than a few moments. Uh, even once it gets going, there's still times where we're like, uh, is this a good idea? Should we do this? Yeah. Did you did you go into the view of Fireside Games of having as large a range of games as possible or going into it to say, well, let's concentrate on a couple of kind of core products and kind of push right. them as much as possible? Because I've seen... I've, you can understand I've spoken to like, I was looking at it, it was about 300 people all involved wow. in various kind of different board game design kind of, nice. you know, it's almost like I could like be teaching people stuff, but I'm not because nice. I'm just, I don't listen. To what anybody says. That's why I record it. It's like, why is you? Oh, you've spoke to so many guests. It's like, don't ask, don't ask me who I spoke to last week because I'm old and I might not remember. Right. But I but am I aware that there's some people that <clears throat> they start off in a fit, they start off in a set kind of direction, and then kind of fate kind of steps them in and pushes them in a in a set a, a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you an example. Frank West. He started off with City of Kings and it looked like he was kind of going down. City of Kings was like this huge sprawling kind of adventure kind of game. And then he kind of brought out Isle of Cats Mm. and unknown to him. Now, yeah, I mean, you're nodding when you, you know, you hear Isle of Cats because everybody's Uh heard of Isle of Cats. And he seems to now be going, he's like in this line is like, well, I can this is going to make me money. This is going to kind of concentrate. This is my kind of, like, and I would call it, I've started to call it like your double moment. You're mm. kind of your main meeting, you know, your mean meat and potatoes. It's going to kind of keep the money going and then it allows mm-hmm. you to kind of, kind of do side things. So when it came to Fireside, were you kind of like, we're going to concentrate on a couple of different projects or we're just going to see kind of what, where, where did you start and where to kind of, where have you kind of ended up with, with how things are yeah. going just now? It's it's been a journey. Um, part of the reason we decided to start Fireside rather than me go fi- um, freelance is because I had a catalog of ideas. I had about ten different games that we thought were really solid that we could move forward with. And when we took a step back and looked, it was kind of a brand. They were all hmm. roughly similar in terms of complexity and like uh, components and such. It was it was you know light. Well, back then this was back in two thousand nine. It was like mediumish light, I would say, compared to hmm. the really really heavy stuff. But definitely chunkier than just a, a, a deck of cards kind of stuff. So we knew we had that kind of feel. And Castle Panic was the strongest contender right away. So we launched with Castle Panic, which turned out to be a massive hit, ironically. And then um, we had, then we started working on what I like to think of as like the spectrum of games. Yeah. So we immediately after that came out with a slightly heavier game about vampires battling humans with a, a really cool dials to track the time of day and all that stuff. And it was not great. <laughs> it did not do well. <laughs> so that immediately was like, okay, maybe we don't push quite that far. Um, at the same time, kind of like you were saying, fate had intervened and people were losing their minds over Castle Panic. So it, yeah. everybody wanted an expansion. And I had planned 
at least one expansion and I was getting ideas for more and we're like, yeah, we really should hit this again. So hmm. we did that. But we during that time, we have continued to put out other games. Like we put out our first dice only game a few years later. Um, we did uh, the Wizard's Tower was the first expansion for Castle Panic and we moved on from there. So it's kind of been... A more like a like a like a branching path, I would say. Castle Panic's like the trunk. We know that line yeah. works. People love yeah. it. We can build the expansions out. But we have several other games that have come off of that that have done well that we're keeping in reprints and stuff. So staying in that world of kind of slightly heavier than Gateway, well, really Gateway game, and then moving into slightly heavier versions of that, that's kind of been our bread and butter. And we've had real success with that. So this gets back to that. I had this list when we started. A few of those games from those lists have survived and moved on, but not yeah. many. A lot of those have been pushed aside because I got better ideas now. Um, but yeah, we had an idea for essentially a brand. We knew we wanted to put forth a kind of game that would bring a kind of audience to it. So that was really good and really helpful to have in everything from like, how do we market this? How do we talk about ourselves? That yeah. really helped to put a, put a fence up, honestly, of w what kind of company are we and what aren't we? That's part of it, too. Um, and then go from there. Uh, yeah, like I said, with obviously you have to follow the stuff that sells. There's you'd be dumb not to. Uh, and then you want to push on other things and try new ideas, uh, innovate where you can, take risks that you think you can afford to do, um, yeah. and go from there. And your main kind of source of income is that through continual kind of sales of Castle Panic. I mean, are you? What's your view, kind of like on the kind of the kicks, you know, Kickstarter and things like that, kind of like the crowd crowdfunding. Right. Well, we've only done one uh, Kickstarter so far, and that was for the deluxe version of yeah. Castle Panic, the ginormous super mega box. Um, uh, and that was kind of its own thing. It's a little weird. It's like, I feel like we haven't done a regular Kickstarter yet. We've only done this one weird thing based on a game that's been around for over 10 years. It's not going to be the same. So when we do our first new game on Kickstarter, then it's going to feel like we'll really get a taste of it. But yeah, primarily... Um, uh, our sales through distribution and regular hobby sales, online sales and things yeah. like that are, that's what keeps us going 99% of the time. Most yeah. of that is still the, the panic brand, which includes my first castle panic. The one we did for preschoolers, that is an incredibly strong seller for us. Um, and then the base game, all the expansions, the big box, stuff like that. Uh, the, uh, and then we, our, our other game here, kitty kitty does really well for us. That's another big seller. Uh, and then we have new stuff we're, we're always tweaking, tweaking with. But um, yeah, we've got a pretty steady flow of these are our like bestsellers, quote unquote. They always move. And then we're looking in new directions. But as far as Kickstarter goes, it's definitely going to be part of the future. There's no way around it. It is the only way to really sell a game anymore. If you take yeah. a game no one's heard of and put it on a shelf, no one's yeah. going to buy it. You have to have the hype. And Kickstarter is where people look for the hype. Retailers who may put it on your shelf want to know how it did on Kickstarter before then. So it's really yeah. flipped on its head from, you know, eight years ago when Kickstarter was kind of like, oh, that's an option. Now it's like, no, you have to sell on Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of, And it's also interesting that you're saying that like part of that is the kind of the hype and the marketing behind it. Yeah, And I can 100%. see why. And people kind of talk about, well, why do these bigger brands like your Simons and your Steamforges and folk like that, why do they consider continually go back to Kickstarter? And it's like because... I can release an update for my previous Kickstarter and say my new Kickstarter is available and it's automatically going to 2,000 customers or 5,000 customers or, you know, 10,000 customers, depending on, yeah. you know, who you, <laughs> who you are in the previous kind of campaign that, that kind of went ahead. Is that, it's interesting you say that people are asking how successful or how well it did or has done in Kickstarter. Is that now becoming like a metric that distributors and 
even retailers will ask, well, if this way, if this was on Kickstarter, then how many units did it kind of kind of do? Yeah. Yeah, really? it's wow. very, very measurable. Um, it is definitely part of what retailers want to know. Distributor Distribution keeps a mm. very tight eye on that. And the other problem, too, is that distribution will buy those Kickstarters. They will they will get in yeah. on ones that they think are going to sell. And this has had an, a weird back-end problem in the industry where if I'm selling like my, all my best-selling games that I know will sell, those I still, re I still need distribution to buy those up and put them on their shelves so stores can get them. Well, that shelf space is getting a lot more crowded. It has been for the last eight years or so um yeah. with all the games coming out but also all the kickstarters these guys are the these guys being the distributors are buying kickstarters that are taking up shelves in their space not all of them work out great in retail but their space is limited and in some cases they're spending so much on keeping up with all the hot new stuff on kickstarter that they're having to stagger their reorders of what we would consider evergreens so yeah. that's been an interesting issue where we're finding like every now and then we're out of stock in distribution for the reason that they just basically forgot to buy us or bought another thing and uh -huh. then they'll buy us and sell out instantly which is normally the metric you use to say you should buy more of that but yeah. they need to stagger and pay their bills and get all these expensive kickstarters so it's very much changed how that market works but in terms of marketing and sales yeah i can guarantee you i would bet huge amounts of money that even simon if they were just to take a game and put it into retail and say hey this is available uh, coming out you know next month at your local store they would sell at best half, maybe not even half of what they would if they did a Kickstarter. For the simple fact that it's it's the messaging, it's the buzz. Everyone talks about it. You get excited. People get upset. They talk about it some more. <laughs> I think it's also the whale factor as well. Yeah. As in, you know, there's no, <clears throat> it's very rare that I'm going to walk into any type of store, retail store, and put $250 down on the counter and just say, mm -hmm. sir, give us your finest box of... <laughs> <laughs> molded 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 plastic and pressed and printed trees please because people mm -hmm. will, people would well close family would look at me and go you're crazy but right. there are people that you know that i see online it's almost like it's it's kind of strange it's kind of like almost like uh there's almost like it's not delayed it's not delayed gratification but mm. it's almost the case that when somebody gets a huge box of stuff delivered from kickstarter financially it's kind of disconnected from what they paid yeah. at the time the campaign at the time is built around hype so people go there's got yeah. this well the fear of missing out so they'll drop <laughs> like 150 dollars on like the latest game right and then they're like okay well that's done and they're excited and they're part of the community and everybody's happy and they'll get the pledge yeah. manor and manager and they'll have a fit when they see the shipping price they'll get over <laughs> that as well and they'll probably add a couple of extra things to basket and then exactly. Literally a year later, once they've forgotten everything, they then get this kind of like this entire box, this small right. house that if they put wheels on it, they could probably <laughs> yes. drive. It's like a Winnebago. <laughs> yes, kind of, kind this Christmas thing. present magically shows up at their so door. It just shows at the door, but there's the disconnect between the financial obligation that was tied to that and the actual product kind of landing on the door. My concern with Kickstarter and my concern with always has been with Kickstarter is that once they arrive... The longevity, the ability to get hold of them again, it's very, very difficult. I have, I have mm. had a pile. I have got a pile of games in my cupboards that <clears throat> they're okay. Mm -hmm. They're not great, but I'm not going to get rid of them because right. unless I saw them in the second hand kind of open market again, the chances of me seeing them again or getting hold of them again are literally kind of next or next to nothing, and that's kind of like a right. that is kind of like a scary, that's kind of a scary thing. 
to me. Yeah, it'll um, be gone forever. <laughs> I see this all the. I, I do. I see it all the time. And people kind of going. You, you see, there, there seems to be another. There's there's a whole secondary market to Kickstarter. Uh, that mm. it's like people that kind of seem to spend lots of money on big pledges, and I've seen it recently with I think Frosthaven. Mm. Oh yeah, uh, and then. Um, People are always kind of oh here's the sun drop version of Oathsworn and stuff like that. They seem to people are quite happy to drop kind of like three or four hundred dollars on like the big pledge, yeah. And it seems that they are investing because then when it arrives and the hype's there, they then stick an extra hundred dollars on top of it, and they just they don't even bother taking out the box. They just kind of ship it to <laughs> ship it to kind of someone else, you know. Right. Um, with with Castle Panic kind of being the bread and butter. Um, has it has it kind of has it has it kind of stopped you from developing more complicated stuff? Because you mentioned the kind of the vampire game, and you're you're kind of like, oh, it was my sorry, I didn't mean to make oh, no. I'm I'm They're really not all sorry. gems. They're not all lovely. I don't always make wonderful things. Um, sometimes they end up in the moat of the castle. But exactly eaten by alligators. Does with you having kind of like a strong distributor and commercial kind of relationship Mm -hmm. do you need to look at things that i need to know that i'm going to shift a couple of thousand units of this are you less likely to take kind of risks have you is there kind of like a black book Hmm. of justin's kind of complicated designs that you know (laughs) would maybe do a couple of hundred or if not thousand units on kickstarter but if you try to pitch that to distribution they're going to be like nah that's we don't need right. this. We need castle. Yeah. We need castle panic in the fairy cake version. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I just want all our viewers at home to know that when he said black book, Richard actually held up a black book. <laughs> oh, it was God, a beautiful prop moment. It was fantastic. It's just yeah. like, um, yeah. Uh, so at, uh, I'm going to jump back for a second. You said something about developing more complicated games, and yeah. to a degree, yes. But for me the type of gamer I am, the type of games I want to make and the experiences we're crafting, there's a limit to where I'm like, that's as, that's as crunchy as I want to get. Um, mm. So there's a, there's a nice area for me to play in that has a lot of range from like a really simple card game up to something chewier. And I will say Castle Panic is on the lower end now. We're moving a little more beyond that. Not We're not going to get anything super Euro heavy, no three-hour war games or anything, but we're adding a bit more complexities. We did a game a few years ago called Hot Shots that was a firefighting game that had a really nice dice engine to it. And there were a lot more decision points in and pressure mm. things to deal with on that. That's a little more like kind of where we want to get back to. Um, also, that's why Castle Panic, the base game, is so gateway. We have the expansions to make it chewier and more moving parts and stuff. So we, we yeah. wanted to make that more like a Lego system. Um, so it doesn't stop me from doing more complex things. But I will say I have put a couple of personal projects of mine on hold because they don't fit our brand for whatever reason. They're either they are too complicated or maybe thematically they're too like mature. There's too much killing or whatever. It's like, OK, let's not that's not a fireside game. Let's do something else with that. And what what happens with those? I don't know. But to get to your other uh uh, question. Yes, um, there are every game we touch, whether it comes to us from someone else or I come up with it, we mm. run it through a gauntlet of like, A, is it fun? Does it fit? Is it even kind of like the brand? And then it also, can I sell it? Because that's the big thing is when we started nine years ago, you could take a game and just send it to distribution, run some sell sheets, put a couple of ads out, and you'd move a few thousand yeah. units. Nowadays, 
I talk with publisher friends that are literally taking new products and moving three, 400 in through distribution and that's it. They're done. Um, so now they have to, and no print run is that low, <laughs> not, not for a, a publisher who's doing anything no, in no. volume. So there's a lot of concern of like, this is a good game. Is it a great game or is it good enough with enough of a twist or a hitch that we can sell it? So a lot of stuff has to go through that. Can we sell this um, filter and how? Is this a Kickstarter game? Is this a uh, door-to-door going and visiting stores game? Is this something we just sell on our website and we move a few units a year and we don't care? And we have said no to a lot of what I would call good games that have been pitched to us just because it's literally like this is it's okay. I can't, this isn't going to set the world on fire. I'll be lucky yeah. to move two, 3000 units. And that's barely worth the development cost and the time and all mm-hmm. that. And also what's the price point. Are we talking a small deck of cards? Now that's even harder to make money on. Are we talking a big fancy plastic game? Well, now I better move a lot of units because that's a lot of material. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that gauntlet is, is less than fun, but we run it on everything. We kind of have to now. So yeah. Has the, has the situation with, uh, with China, with respect to, well, two things, the shipping costs, which I think have have got, um, the, at some point they replaced the P's in that word with T's, because <laughs> I know a lot of developers were just <laughs> oh, like, yes. whoa. Yes. Um, what was it? What was the, what was your phrase? Not crusty bum? What was it? <laughs> Squeaky bum type. Squeaky bum. Yes. There are many squeaky I've, bum moments when you get a bid from that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like when people kind of shorted out GameSpot, <laughs> GameStop or whatever, and the price kind of going up. We're like, oh my yeah. goodness, we're okay. in a lot of trouble. But yeah. COVID's the, co- uh, it sounds strange, and I've mentioned this before to other people, but COVID is still a, con- a major concern in China, and they're still going through oh, yeah. the lockdown thing, which has obviously affected the kind of the manufacturing situation. Mm-hmm. And... Then you've got the shipping price because all again it's just going to take is somebody to decide oh I'm going to start a war somewhere or China's going to decide it doesn't want to work <laughs> with us mm-hmm. as much as it likes because based yep. on its political kind of um, <laughs> I guess it's political friends at the time. So has that also def- is that also kind of is it made kind of making the manufacturing decisions? Have you got to take kind of more into account what's the kind of the turnaround? Do I ha- do you have to kind of make a bigger kind of manufacturing window? When a distributor is saying, when you're thinking of releasing this, it's like, well, I'm thinking of getting into the shops kind of October twenty four, October 23, but it might be March 24, depending on it. Mm-hmm. And you'll, is that had to make you think about, well, what components are we going to be getting on here? What's the, uh, what's the cardboard content, the box size and everything like that? Has that made you kind of have to kind of take stock on that type of situation? Yeah. Um, uh, yes and no to different degrees. Uh, shipping prices were terrifying for a while. We mm. managed to get incredibly lucky in that we, <laughs> lucky is the best way to put it probably, we did a big reprint on all of our hits right be- at the end of like 2019-ish. So we had a lot of inventory to carry mm. us through some of the worst pricing. But we had a container come over with two of our games on it that the cost was so high, we basically didn't make anything on those games. We sold those to keep them in stock and keep the advertising and they became marketing expenses. 
cases. Um, that could not have kept going. That's a that's a that's a company killer. You can't do that more than one or twice. And most small companies I know couldn't do it at all. We got really lucky that we could we could float those two and then get back. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing those prices come down now. We're back to much more normal shipping prices. Um, delays are still weird though. Uh, timing out of China is very very strange. Um, a lot of times it used to be you could get a boat within like a week. Like I would reach out to my my factory, confirm, okay, it's going to be done on this day. Then I will reach out to my shipper and say, hey, it's going to be done this day. They'll get back to me and say, cool, we'll have it on a boat in eight days. Awesome. Great. Now it'll be like two and a half weeks, three weeks, maybe four, and you're just waiting to get space. And I don't think it's a container issue. I'm not 100% sure what it is, but the times are really weird right now. And then, of course, there's customs on our end. At one point, there were over 100 boats off the coast of uh, LA or California trying to get in. And that's everything from iPhones to cars to board games. So you would just have weeks and weeks of waiting. And we still, people aren't talking about it. There's a trucker shortage. Getting a person to physically drive a truck up to the port, load the container on the back of the truck and drive off is really hard right now. These guys are working all the time and there's just not enough trucks. So it arrives, comes off the boat, and then sits in storage. And I don't know if you've ever seen the pictures of how they store containers on the coasts, but it's like a game of Tetris. Your container might be at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and, it, yeah. and if it's five containers deep, you're not yeah. getting it that day. they got to no. un- move those containers, yeah. put yeah. yours on a boat. Yeah. And it's all very, it's like this massive uh, economic simulation game of them, worker placement thing of trying to get these guys out. And that's been crazy. And then, yeah, like you said, COVID too, um, that hit us really bad on uh, the deluxe version that uh, just finished wrapping up. We basically lost a month of just they they said nope everybody go home we're locking the doors nothing gets done and china just shuts down and then coming back it's a big machine it's like starting up an engine it takes yeah, a long yeah, time to get that yeah. thing back up to speed so yeah it's yeah. been those are the kind of things that are when i started the business it was like i want to make games so i started a game company all the stuff that goes into the company is ridiculous like remember a couple of years ago when that boat got stuck in the panama canal <laughs> i almost had a heart attack not because my games were even on that boat not yeah. because i necessarily had any games going through the panama canal at that moment but if i did they weren't going to move and nothing was coming through and the containers uh-huh. there's this weird game of juggling containers where we send empty ones back to china sometimes with stuff in them and and full ones come back and if you break that chain the whole system the falls whole thing, apart yeah. and so when yeah. that thing got stuck and i turned to my wife and i'm like <laughs> uh we need to make sure anything we're shipping is going now or or hasn't gone and we got to figure out a schedule it was a nightmare <laughs> so and stuff like that like watching the news now can be like oh i'm gonna have a heart attack for a thing that no one else on the planet cares about but me yeah exactly and finally you know, truckers arm has become a major disease amongst. But what I mean, what I heard about the whole truck driving situation was that mm. with there was this kind of there was the lockdown, and then a lot of the truck driving companies kind of went, "You're gonna have to go out and still do it." So there's a lot of truck mm. drivers suffered from going doing the COVID, yeah. but there was also a lot of truck drivers that just basically went, "I, I, I can't do this anymore." Yep. So there's a it's whole a raft life. of people, a whole raft of people kind of left because yeah. I've got kind of like, um, in my day job, I do a lot of stuff with Amazon and we do touching mm. American stuff. And there's guys that were talking about, you have to speak to the logistics companies saying, yeah, well, uh, we used to be able to get kind of pallet trucks into Amazon at least two or three times a week. And it's now, it's literally like, <laughs> it's literally like, there's kind of like, yeah, you pay the logistics company, but there's occasionally like a little kind of envelope <laughs> It goes to the truck driver and say, "You coming yeah. back here? You come if you come back again." Yeah, you know, I'll make hey, it worth. Hey, do you need anything? Can we get you something? You, you look really tired. Yeah, no, I believe it. I 
yeah protection it's, it's not it's not protection racket it's almost like comfort blanket racket <laughs> Right? Kind of or just like, like a peace offering here, please, thank you, come back again, can I, I make know, you some exactly. cookies? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, just don't don't panic, but please come back. Um, <laughs> let's talk about, I mean, let's talk about Castle Panic. Let's do. Because, um, it's, as you say, it's been out there for a while. Yeah? So we're, mm-hmm. okay, so look at it this way, right? We're, <laughs> we're we, we've got this awkward thing where we're in an elevator and you realize that we get both on the first floor and we realize we're going up to the 27th floor. Mm-hmm. And then halfway in the middle, the elevator stops for like <laughs> a minute and a half. Okay. And I, we introduce each other. Right, right. And then, and then, and then you know, you say, I got kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got, you know, I got kids. Do they like board games? Yeah, they like board games. And then you say, I've got this game called Castle Panic. Let me tell you all about it in a minute and a half. <laughs> <laughs> the elevator pitch where the elevator gets stuck. And then I the like elevator nice pitch where the elevator gets stuck because otherwise right, it's thirty right. seconds. So tell us a little bit about Castle Panic because people will right. be out there going, I I don't know. I've heard of yeah. it, but I don't know about sure. it. Sure, a lot of people don't know what it is still. So that's great. Yeah, no. Uh, so Castle Panic is a cooperative. Uh, we like to say tower defense board game. Uh, the game is built with a series of walls and towers, little cardboard walls and towers in the middle of a board, and the board is done with a series of concentric rings going out from that castle. Uh, they're labeled Archer, Knight, and Swordsman. There's also a forest ring, and monsters are going to come in from the outside trying to destroy your castle. It's very like Lord of the Ringsy kind of thing. You have orcs, goblins, and trolls coming in trying to smash your walls and towers, and you as a group must defend this castle. Uh, you'll do that by playing cards in your hand that match both the color and the ring of the uh, board. So, for example, there's a red, green, and blue colors, and then Archer, Knight, and Swordsman. If there's a monster in the red knight ring, and I have a red knight card, I can hit that monster. Uh, monsters with bigger health points will dial down so you can track their health. Monsters with smaller ones, just hit them and they're done. But at the end of every player's turn, there's a conveyor belt of evil system where you put out... Uh, all the monsters will move one space closer to the castle, and then you'll draw two new monsters from a pile and put them in the forest. You'll be drawing things that are or goblins, orcs, and trolls, but you'll also get monster effects that will make you draw more monsters, giant boulders that will crush your castle, things will move unexpectedly, so your plans are going to get screwed up, which is important because trading cards and trying to manage your hand is a huge part of the game, making sure the guy next to you has the cards he's going to need. Can you make a better trade with that person over there? Uh, All of this happening in not real time, but every turn with them coming at you, it feels very, very video gamey. And yeah, the goal is survive. Destroy all the monsters and have at least one tower left standing and you win the game. Uh, if they take out all six towers, game's over, monsters win, you lose. So that, And the whole thing plays in about 45 minutes, too. So it's uh, that's uh, that's Castle Panic squeezed together. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> here's your floor. It's all, it's all good. And then, yeah, exactly, here's your floor. <laughs> and it's like, where have you been? <laughs> Stuck in the elevator with this guy. Gonna go get myself another board game. What another board game? Where are you gonna put? Where are you gonna put that board game? Where, where are you gonna hmm? stick that? Come on. Where are you gonna put that board game? There's space. Nobody has space in the bed. We could put a row of board games right down, right down the middle. Right, because under the bed's already full. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere is full. Actually, you know, in all fairness, and I don't know why I'm saying this in a squeaky voice. But because it's better, because, <laughs> everything's better with a squeaky voice, Pluto. <laughs> um, I, um, I'm actually quite strict about kind of games that I keep and games that oh. I don't keep because I review because I do a lot of review stuff, right? So and you're if I just buried in them, if you don't, you just keep it. If you just keep everything, and I don't, I don't know. It's not because there's a. It's, some of them I'll keep, 
and hold on to. Because if they've, they've kind of struck such a chord with me, I'm just kind of like, I like, to, I like to play this, I'm going to play it again and again and again. But even then, I'm more likely to get rid of those ones that, over the ones that I've kind of bought myself, which is a kind of a strange thing. But I do kind of on a regular basis, I actually send out review copies to like family members and stuff nice. like that. Mm-hmm. Or there's a like Facebook group and sometimes I'll just say, oh, look, um, I'm going to be sending out some games to people. Because I nice. know, well, because cause I, know I know sometimes these people, they'll get the game and they'll be like, yes, excellent. I've, got, I've just got something. I'm going to play it. And I know that will get played. And the whole mm-hmm. point is getting it, you know, getting more people playing board games, which is the thing. The thing yeah. at the kind of the end of the day. You know, that's, that's, that's the kind of the important thing. So I don't have a huge... I don't have a huge amount. It's just three or four hundred. No, it's not. It's about fifty. I mean, it's really. I just, you know, I've got. It's not even. You know, I thought you were saying houses. Got, three or four houses. Three or four. <laughs> yeah, because we just like that's what we're like in Scotland. We've just got houses yeah. everywhere. It's extra. House. You know, I just like this is the podcast. I'm not even a podcasting room. And I'm in my podcasting house. Very and good. Going, you got to have your my, own one. I'm going to my TV house down the road there. No, watch. Yeah, TV yeah. you don't want to mix them up. Tonight. I mean, come on. <laughs> No, I'm, uh, yeah. Uh, collection management is its own skill, art, and psychological trauma. I, I'm with you. I, I, I keep things. My problem is I will pick up a game because, like, either I bump into it or somebody recommends it. And I'll go, oh, there's this one cool mechanic in here that I want to remember as a designer. Yeah. So I'm going to hang on to this. Is the game good? Uh-huh. Are we ever going to play it again? No, not really. It's for really that one. Th- so now I have a box that really is essentially just a series of notes <laughs> that takes up a bunch of room. That's the hard one for me to get rid of. I have to make sure I've like made my notes, made, made observations that I need to, and then I can let it go. And uh, we're constantly bumping into games, going to conventions and things. Yeah. Sometimes there's free giveaways and stuff. Um, we get things sent to us to review every once in a while, well, uh, uh, to critique really and decide yeah. if we want to publish. So we have like weird stuff that like I might not normally have bought anyway. And then some, some of those I'm, I'm excited about and all that, but yeah, we have just gone, through and done a huge purge on our collection so i uh, i feel i feel you there but there's ones like you know i've got seafall oh wow <laughs> yeah yeah wow yeah it's kind of are, are like... you gonna play it again <laughs> no <laughs> just that's you know, not a small box either it just says no it's not small it sits on a shelf and it just looks at me and it goes when are you gonna play me and it's like i don't know Dude. if i can no you have to <laughs> you know i'm terrible but I don't know if it is terrible because this is the thing. Right. Maybe it's, I tried it again. You know, it's like watching Home Alone Four. I know that there's no. a sp- I know there's a spirit of Macaulay Culkin in there somewhere. But I'm just right. not sure. I'm just not don't know if I'm prepared to like lose an hour and a half of my life for something that I potentially might not enjoy. I'm just not yeah. sure. It's kinda like there's an awful lot of rules. And it's um it's a Rob da- I think it's a Rob Davio jam. I think I think it's I think it's Rob Davio that yeah, did it. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that that is one that's never going to leave the collection. It's going to sit there, and I'll probably never ever play it. And they'll probably they'll probably what they'll do <laughs> probably do is they'll be reading at my eulogy at my funeral, right. and they'll be <laughs> and they'll be saying, and he did love this game called Seafall because he had that he kept that for he years kept above. It. Everything else that he got right. rid of, and this it must go to you, my friend. Like, no, <laughs> I'm gonna yep. make sure. I'm gonna make sure that goes to like my least favorite um, relative. 
I love it. You know, and to, <laughs> and to cousin cousin Michael, and I don't have a cousin Michael, I leave right. my copy of Seafo. Enjoy. Oh. And he's going to be like, oh, no. I'm going to make sure, he's a, yeah. make sure he's a board gamer as well. <laughs> so, oh, nice. Even so better. They know even exactly. Better. So it's above. So, above. Um, so what's inheritance. next? I love it. That's great. So what's next? What have, what have we got? What, what's out there? What have we got planned? What are we going to be doing? You can say dinner if you want. You know what? If you're going to... It's going to Right. I, I do hope to have a tasty dinner. I made some soup last night. They were having good leftover soup. Yeah, no. What, um, what kind of soup, lot, though? You can't uh, say Just soup. a vegetable soup. Oh, nice. Lots of cabbage and stuff, yeah. Oh, good. It's, it's, it's very good. I, a little, I'm, bit, of, it's a good, little bit of bacon in there for the cabbage? No, it's it's just pure vegetables. We're, wow. we're trying to be healthy and good now and then. <laughs> you know, because of making up for the Taco Bell we had last weekend. All right, okay. <laughs> well, that would have, yeah. I'm making up for the Taco Bell and the type 2 diabetes. Exactly. <laughs> you got have some soup. That'll solve all your problems. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Nice. So in but, addition to soup, we're yes. doing other things. So yeah. Um, no, there's a bunch of things we're doing this year. We're actually going to be hitting a lot of conventions this year, which because of COVID various things, we'd cut back a lot. So this year we'll yeah. be doing a bunch. Um, uh, some of them are industry type shows, like uh, where you go to meet other distributors and retailers, and then others yeah. will be more consumer facing. We always do Origins and Gen Con, um, uh, and then we're we're actually we're thinking about haven't locked it down doing actually I think we have almost locked down uh, UK Games Expo. We've wow. never done that, and I really want to get out there. I've heard really really good things about it. Um, but anyway, so we're doing a bunch of traveling and stuff and showing off things, primarily because we just launched this second edition of Castle Panic. We really want to show that to everybody. And then in the meantime, on the kitchen table, so to speak, um, I am prototyping a game that uh, we signed a couple of years ago, uh, an IP deal with a guy named Rich Moyer who made a kid's book called Ham Helsing, which is a game about a vampire hunting pig. And uh, he reached out to us. It's a it's a, it's an illustrated kid's graphic <laughs> novel. So yeah. already. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> It's so good. And, and when he, he basically approached us and said, hey, I'm doing this book. Do you guys want to make a board game? I think it'd be cool to make a board game. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, we we pulled the trigger on that. And yeah. uh, I've been working on it since. Uh, now, it, it's one of those things where like, we signed that contract. And I told him, I am in the middle of shipping this ginormous box of Castle Panic. So give me like another year to finish that. And then I'll get on your game. So that's where we are now. I'm cranking away and tweaking things. And it's going to be a little cooperative adventure game. That's kind of our jam. We love co-ops. We do a lot of those here at Fireside. Um, you and the main characters from the book will be running around trying to so stop the bad guy before they destroy the world and all that. Very much in keeping with the spirit of the book. Uh, uh, ham pork and pig puns everywhere absolutely so everywhere the book is dripping in it um it's it's very silly but also it's going to be uh i'm trying to make sure it's also a good co-op where it tries to kick your behind uh at first yeah. so uh, working on that uh and i'm excited for it it's uh, the art's gonna be amazing because he's gonna do all the art so it's gonna look just like the book oh, so wow yeah that's really gonna be want. fun that's what yeah you want. that's what you i want. don't know when that's coming out because i it just got to that point in game design where it's like this is good, this is good, this is good. The whole thing's not good enough. Burn half of it down and start over. So I'm doing that <laughs> yeah. now and getting to the really good stuff, but it's not there yet. But it's at this point, I think it's probably going to be a 2024 release. I just don't think we can squeeze it in by the end of the year. And we don't want to do it right around Christmas. We want it out. So yeah. that's the thing yeah. on that. But um, And then we also have a couple of lighter games that have rolled around. One of them is my own design, and we picked another one up as a pitch that we're like, hmm, do we want to do this? I don't know that we're going to move forward on those, but we might slide one of those in because doing a big epic board game with with licensed characters versus a quick little card game <laughs> we'll see yeah yeah exactly big decisions yeah. big decisions and then 
we do, we know after that one of the next things we want to do is uh, that Hot Shots game I mentioned, the firefighting one. That was a, a really popular game that we wanted to like edit a little bit, and that's going to yeah. be launched as a Kickstarter afterwards with probably a new expansion I'm working on too. So we'll have a we'll be putting that back out into the world, which is nice because it's been out of print for a long time, and we still have people asking for that one. So Good that's going to be a fun thing. Good stuff. So if people have listened along tonight, Justin, and they're like, "This all sounds absolutely wonderful," but how do we keep a track on Justin <laughs> without standing outside his house and just watching his every move. So right. where do you, where do you exist on the internet webs, Justin? <laughs> Only in the you... darkest corners. No, yeah. that's no, not. People... <laughs> that doesn't help at all. Yeah, no, that doesn't narrow anything down. <laughs> yeah. Yes, if people want to know my feelings on tea and coffee and all that, they're welcome to follow us. Um, the You can go right to the website, <laughs> firesidegames.com, if you want to see our stuff and buy anything. Um, also, visit your local game store. They are what keeps us in business. Please buy from them. Uh, if you want to see what we're up to, we have a very fun, ironically, TikTok channel that we put a lot of goofiness into. There's a lot of fun up there. Uh, we still are also on Twitter, and all of these are at Fireside Games. Just uh, that's, so that's what go. we're under. You don't look for my name; look for Fireside Games. Uh, we have a fun YouTube channel where I put uh, nutshell videos and how to plays and things like that. And then uh, our Facebook group is pretty big. If you really want to keep up with us, I would say hop onto the website and join our mailing list because that what's fun about that is we always try and tease things ahead of time on the mailing list. You'll get yes. a sneak peek before it comes out, and. It's only when we have something to say. So you're going to get like one a month if it's a really busy month. Otherwise, it'll just be like nothing, nothing. Hey, here's something cool from Fireside. So those are the easiest, most painless ways to keep up with all the weirdness we're up to. And we will make sure that we put all those links in the show notes so that we have got notes to show. If you want to keep an eye on what we we are up to, then just go to the internet webs and uh, search for We Are Not Wizards and you'll find us in all of the local haunts where we like to taunt um, and I can't think of any other word that rhymes with aunt no I can't, failed it um, <laughs> if <laughs> um, but consider going to our Instagram, we've almost got a thousand followers on Instagram at the moment Nice. and so we're just at like 996 you do that thing where you go like over oh, 996 and then it goes 992 and yes, then, yes. Then, you get, you, then you get a couple you did of, something wrong then you get a couple of people offering you interesting links to click to, and it goes up to 998, and then they yep. get blocked, it goes down to 991. So we're at 996 <laughs> at the moment, so it'd be nice to kind of get over there as well. Um, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, <clears throat> this is fun, I'd like to come and actually guest on the podcast, then kind of get in contact, drop us an email, magic at we're not wizards. I'm aware of the irony of the email address, that's why I picked it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and all these other kind of lovely, 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 lovely places. Um, and if you like what you've listened to tonight, then please go to your podcast catcher of choice and consider dropping us a subscription or even a rating or review. If you're on the Apple podcast, then are they still called Apple podcasts? I think they are. Um, then consider giving us a rating. And as I say, don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big headed, but don't give us one star because it makes us cry. Give us something in the middle, like five, because it's average, and we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average is rather wonderful, rather fantastic. Justin, do it. Thank you very, very <laughs> much for guesting. Um, there's only one, there's a couple more things to do. Hmm. First thing is to remember that we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Justin? We are not wizards. There you go.
<laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a good goodbye from the man who's not here to put you in a panic, but make you calm and make you think of ham. <laughs> it's Justin. Yep. Say goodbye, Sweet dreams, Justin. everyone. Say goodbye, <laughs> Have a good night. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful, and uh, defend the castle at all costs. Until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.